want to encourage you, grab something to take notes with. How many of you guys want God to speak to you today? Amen? Then let's be prepared to listen. Not because, I, I say all the time, let's make sure we're taking notes, not because I'm the most amazing speaker, because that's definitely not the case, but we serve an amazing Savior, and he wants to speak something to you specifically today, so let's be prepared to write that down so we can remember it, reflect on it later. Uh, for those of you who are guests, I'm Pastor Chris, I'm our executive pastor here at Destiny, so excited to get to speak to you guys this morning, and we are going to jump right in. So we are talking about Open the Gates. Now, this is our revelation for the year, and there's something about this that I'm really excited to dive into a little bit today. Uh, really important groundwork as we jump in that we understand. You know, Psalms says, Psalms 24, 7 says, lift your head, O ye gates. Who are the gates? We are. We are the gates. So when we are saying, God, we need a move of God in our world. We need God open the floodgates and pour into our world, change the world that we live in. We've got to understand what we're really asking is God to move through us to make a difference in the world around us. Okay, so it's our responsibility to be that move of God in our world. He wants to use us. He could have just in a snap fixed it all, right? But instead, he chooses to use us in the process to be a part of the process. All right, so it's really important that we understand there is more value <laughs> in the process of what God is bringing about than the end result. He wants us to be a part, and he chose to use you to be a part of that process. Now, I believe there are some really great things in Nehemiah 3 is where we're going to be talking out of mostly today. Uh, and this is where Nehemiah comes and helps rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and I believe there is a great depiction here uh, in these 10 gates that teach us a lot about who we should be as a church and what the church should look like today. And just so that we're all on the same page as we start, when I say the church, I'm not talking about the building, the organization. I'm talking about we, the people of the church, okay? So when I'm saying the church needs to go out, I'm not saying we need to create another program. I'm saying let's get off our booty and get moving, okay, and make a difference in the world around us. Let's actually do something, get out, put feet to what is in the heart of God to make a difference in the world around us, all right? So let's jump straight in. I believe there's something really unique that God wants to teach us, and I love Nehemiah. Uh, I'm sure many of us have heard the story of Nehemiah before. He comes in, they begin rebuilding the wall, and enemies, as soon as he begins rebuilding, the enemies start to gather, right? Anybody ever notice when you start moving forward in what God has called you to do, it seems like the enemies come out of the woodwork? right? Problems begin to pop up. Things begin to happen. There begins to be issues. And the be people began to build. In fact, they had to build while they held a weapon in one hand and built with the other, right? I, I just want to start off today. When you begin doing what God's called you to do, there may be opposition to where you are going, but that does not mean that you no longer have the hand of God on you. That simply means the devil doesn't want to lose ground and you are making a difference in the world that God's called you to. I think we've bought into a lie a lot that says, hey, if there's opposition, then I must be out of the will of God. I guess I need to stop this because it's hard. There's nothing in the Bible that says stop when it's hard. Okay, when Jesus called the disciples, he didn't say, come follow me. I'm going to make things easy for you. It's going to be simple. We're going to take naps. It's going to be awesome. It's not what he said. He said, come follow me. People are going to hate you. They're going to spit on you. They're going to try to kill you. 
because you represent me and they're going to hate me. Sign me up. Right? Like, I mean, like, that's the greatest opening ever. Who hears that and is like, yeah, this is going to be easy? No. Nothing easy about this. If we're going to do what God's called us to do, it's going to require some work. So let's dive into that. Let's dive into a little bit of the work of what was put together here. So there's 10 gates that are listed. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on all of these, but there's a general idea I want you to get here. So the first gate is the sheep gate. It's in Nehemiah 1. And this one I found really interesting because it, as soon as it starts about them, starts talking about them rebuilding the gates and the walls. It starts here, and it says that the high priest and the other priest began to rebuild the wall at the sheep gate. Now, this is what stood out to me so much about this portion of Scripture. The high priest is someone who would have been revered, looked up to, kind of set apart, right? He's not going to get down and get in the dirty work. He's set apart. But no, the first thing it says, it's time to work, it's time to get in the middle of it and rebuild. What's he do? He begins to go to the sheep gate to set the example. The first thing I pull out of this looking at it is, as Christians, we need to lead by example. Not just telling everybody else what needs to be fixed in the world around us, but we need to put our hand to the work of the ministry outside of these four walls to begin to transform the world that God has called us to. We've got to lead by example. It's not enough to sit back and say, man, our world's got problems. How many of you guys would look at our world and say, we got problems, right? Here's the beauty of it. Those problems are not too big for our God. But in order for God to move in those problems, it requires us to get involved in them, all right? And we can't sit back and say, man, God, I hope you fix that one. That one's bad. No, if you see it, then guess what? He's probably calling you to help fix it. All right, and we've gotta be willing to do the work and do the hard things and lead by example. Second gate is the fish gate. I don't know where, don't ask me about the names, but the fish gate, all right? (laughs) This is a great one because this depicts uh, the way it lays out who's working on this gate. I love it because it speaks so much of family. It begins to talk about uh, this person and their son and grandson. It speaks of the family working on this together. Now, here's the thing. As Christians, we've got to understand a big part of what we're called to is family. How many of you in here Understand, there is something different from physical family and spiritual family, but God has called us to both, right? Here's the beauty of it. We may have tension with your physical family. Anybody ever have that one family member? You just, yep, they're in there, right? Not naming names. Anyway, uh, <laughs> some of y'all got that. That's okay. <laughs> right? But we, we all have family members, right? And they're family. But what can you do? They're family, right? Right, we've got that, or you got that grandpa, it's like, okay, kids, we're going to visit grandpa, don't repeat anything he says, right? But what are you going to do? He's family. We've got to still visit just his family, right? Here's the beauty of it. There may be people in the church that you're like, oh, that person again, hey, they're family. It's family. Well, we don't agree on this and that. Well, it's family. You don't have to agree on everything to still be family, Okay. But the truth of it is God has called us to be family, to do this together and work on it together. If you're taking notes, you're blank here, is ministry is about family. We're not perfect, but we're in this together. See, here's the thing about family. Whether you like them or not, they're family. You can't disown them. You can't discard them. They're there. Here's the beauty of it. God's called you to be family. Now, I know I'm kind of harping on the negative aspect of that, but here's the beauty of it. Anybody ever be, been at a point in your life where you're like, I just really need somebody to be there for me? Welcome to family. Anybody ever move or have family out of town and something's gone wrong and you're like, man, I need help? Welcome to family. 
Man, I, you know, I'm going through a hard divorce. I lost my job. Our pipes broke, whatever it is. And I don't have family that lives here. I want you to look around. Welcome to family. See, that's the beauty of family is God has called us to be family together, to help each other. A lot of times people will ask about, you know, hey, I'm moving. I need somebody to help move. The first question we ask is, hey, what community group are you a part of? That's not to pass the buck along. That's because what we're saying is, who's your core family? Who are the core people that you are spending your life with, investing in each other? Because guess what? We're family. That's who should be there, right? That's what we do as family. We grow together, and we build together. So I love that. That's exactly what's being depicted here is they're building together. The third gate he also speaks of this, but even on a deeper level. And this gate speaks of unity, right? The old gate. And Nehemiah 3.12, it says, Next to him was the official of half the district of Jerusalem who made repairs, he and his daughters. This is impressive. Like, you got to think, we're talking about they're rebuilding the gates and the walls, and now we've got sons, grandsons, grandparents, city officials, their kids, their daughters are out here. Literally everyone is hands in to get this accomplished. The beauty of this is the unity that's in it. The city officials are right there working hand in hand with the rich and the poor, the people who are known and the people who are not. But we're called to do this together. See, anybody ever look at the world around you or a need that you see or maybe even yourself just as a Christian, like what difference can I make? Anybody ever ask yourself that question? See, here's the beauty of it. You don't have to have a title to make a difference. You simply have to be willing to be obedient. And that's what I love about this. It's like, hey, there were these one, this people who was this dude's grandson and this dude's cousin and Uncle Bob's out here, and then we've got the dude who's over half of Israel. They're working side by side. Your title doesn't matter. Your willingness to be obedient is what positions you to make a difference in the world around you. Number four, the valley gate. I like this one. Talking about all spectrums here. Anybody ever look at what you feel like you can accomplish and feel like it's minimal compared to what you see other people doing? See, we've got a really hard time, I think, in the church. A lot of times we see people and we're like, man, they're making a difference. And then we start to look down at ourselves. See, stop comparing. I love the way this lays this out, because it's talking about here's family, here's unity, here's all these things that are happening. This is being built together. And then it throws in uh, the fourth gate, the valley gate. This is <laughs> awesome. The valley gate they repaired was 15, they repaired the gate and 1,500 feet of wall. And then it moves on, like, you guys are working on gates, 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 gate and 1,500 feet of wall. Like, they did a ton, Right? Stop discounting yourself. All the gates were important. All the pieces are important. I think a lot of times we look, it's like, well, but I'm not on the platform. I don't have, I can't lead worship. I can't play guitar. I can't play drums. I can't either. Trust me, you don't want me to touch some drums, right? We all have a different gift. When I begin to operate in my gift, it's a blessing to the body. When I don't, (laughs) it's a problem for the body, right? See, we've got to understand there's a gift that you carry. Each and every one of you in here are uniquely qualified to reach somebody and reach your world in a way nobody else is. 
whether that's from your background, that's from your talents, your skills, uh, often we try to put everybody in ministry and, well, if I can do these five things, then I can do ministry. No. There is the five-fold ministry, but that's not all ministry. Ministry can be your art. It can be writing. It can be all kinds of different expressions that begin to make a difference in the world around you. Guess what? You might be a plumber that can really make a difference in the world around you. Your title doesn't qualify you. Your willingness to be obedient does. Stop measuring what you consider success to somebody else's, which is I love the comparison here. Gate five is the dung gate. Anybody know what dung is? Right? Not every job, not every task may feel like the most spectacular, but it doesn't mean it doesn't need to be done. Anybody ever feel like, man, I just get the short end of the stick all the time? (laughs) You may be working on the dung gate, but let me tell you, if the dung gate's not built, there's a hole in the wall and the city is vulnerable. Right? The gate has to be there. We have to be able to do that. And let me tell you something. A lot of times we look at different things and it's like, man, that's a horrible job. And to somebody else, it's an amazing one. See, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to myself, oh, I've got to do this. It's like, I, mean, I also, I just had a conversation like last week with somebody that was like saying they wish they could do that. So what's the problem? You're not working on your gift. You're not working on what God's called you to. Often we're sitting back complaining in comparison. What is it God's called you to? What has he gifted you for? I wish I could preach this message and send every one of you out here. Here's your mission. Here's your number one thing. Here's what you're going to do to change the world. The problem is I don't know how each and every one of you were made, so I can't tell you the one gift and the one thing that you carry that you have a heart for. Who can tell you what you have a heart for? You and God. We've got to be positioned in a way where we're able to hear his voice and know what we were created for. When we do that, then we can step out of here and truly transform a world in a way that changes everything about the way people view the church. See, there was an article done in USA Today several years ago where they went around to different college campuses and they asked people how they viewed God, how they viewed the church, and how they viewed Christians. And the thing that was really interesting to me is a lot of those, the way they viewed God had a direct correlation to how they viewed Christians in the church, right? So you would ask them, and generally it was by the experience that they had had. How do you view God? He's judgmental, he's critical. And they would say, well, how do you view the church? Judgmental or critical? Or then they go talk to another person. How do you view God? He's loving and caring. Well, how do you view the church? They're there for you. They're loving. They're caring. They go out of their way to help. And what, what I realized really quickly is almost everyone they polled and talked to, their view of God was related by the experience and interaction they had with people of the church. We've got to do better. We've got to be the expression of Jesus in the world around us. We've got to understand this isn't about if it's convenient or easy. It's simply about being obedient to what God's called us to do. And each and every one of us can make a difference if we simply get outside and use the gifts and talents that we have to make a difference in the world that God has called us to. The next is the fountain gate. I like this one. 
The fountain gate stood out. It's a great segue into this because this, it says that this gate went to, uh, to the door of the house of the high priest. Now, hold on. I talked about the high priest earlier. Where were they working? The very first gate, the sheep gate, right? Why? Why in the world would they not just work on what's right there? Like, the, it would be so much easier just to walk out the front door and do what's right in front of them, right? Why did he go all the way to the other side? Because he was setting an example for people to see, right? We covered that. Here's the other thing. And I want, us, I want us to understand this. There are times God may call you to do what's right in front of you. There may be times God calls you to do something that's a little more inconvenient. See, often we're quick. I'll serve, I'll volunteer as long as it fits in my schedule. And I'll, let me look at my planner. Nope, it's good. Hey, my neighbor, you know, I know they've got pro- their trees down and it's problem. Th- Thursday from 2 to 2.30, I can help you move limbs. It might not be convenient, but it might be what you're called to. Right? See, we've got to stop thinking that everything's got to fit nice and neatly into our schedule to be what God's called you to. There's 24 hours in a day. Anybody ever get at the end of the day and realize there's a lot of things you didn't accomplish? That means there's things on your list that probably weren't part of God's assignment for you. I don't mean that to be harsh, but we've got to look and decide what is it God's calling you to? What is it I'm called to accomplish today? And that's what I need to put my hand to. It don't, I'm not like saying there's anything wrong with getting to the end of the day and still having things that need to be done, okay? We're human, all right? That's okay. But what I am saying is we've got to listen to the heart of God and what he's calling to. And it's not always going to be convenient. Sometimes it will, but it won't always. And being willing to do what's inconvenient at times because it makes a difference in the life of somebody else. I lost my place, sorry. The, that was the fountain gate. So the next is the water gate. I like the water gate. It's really interesting to me because it talks about who built the water gate. And one of the things it talks about is the people of, I'll spell it, T-E-K-O-A, Tekoa, I don't know, um, right? But these people, why did this stood out to me so much is because these people are actually mentioned twice. And the thing I love about this is meeting the need that you see. Because earlier, they were actually back working on the fish gate. When they were done with the fish gate, they realized, hey, there's still a gate over here that needs fixing. So they moved from one task to another. Just because you did something doesn't mean your job's done. See, I think a lot of times we want to sit back and, well, you know, I mean, I went to church, so my Christian duty's done today. No, it's not. You came and fellowshiped with the body. Now walk out of the doors and live like a Christian. <laughs> like, we need to show Jesus in the way we live our life. Not one good deed and I'm done. I didn't hit my quota for the day. I need to live like Jesus every day. Hey, I was nice to the person at this stoplight so I can flip off the dude at the next. That's not the way it works. But a lot of times we want to function like that because it's easiest, right? How is it that we can become so frustrated when people aren't needing the needs that we see? I don't want to beat you up. I want to help you out because I'm speaking as just as much to me as I am anybody else. Anybody ever get frustrated when you see a need and it's like, why is nobody meeting this need? This is a problem we've got to fix. Like, they're busy with this over here, but this is a big deal. Anybody ever feel that? Guess what? Your concern is a clue to your call. 
I've heard pastors say that for years, and it is so, so true. If I'm concerned about this need, I'm probably called to it. But they're spending so much time on this, if they would pay attention here, guess what? They may see this as a huge need. That's why they're invested there. Now you invest in this one. Now guess what? Instead of being frustrated, it's not happening. We're able to meet two different needs in two different places at one time. Let's be the church. Let's get involved. We don't have to have everything ironed out and perfect. We've simply got to pay attention to what it is that God moves on your heart. But, but Pastor Chris, what does that fit? How, how do I do that? How do I know what that is? We listen. You know, I'll, I'll never forget, we got a call. It was like the week of Thanksgiving. Somebody in the church called and said, hey, I think it'd be great if we like, put together 400 meals and fed like 400 homeless people for Thanksgiving. I was like, that's a great idea. There's no way we can pull that off this week. <laughs> like, like, it's this week. That's awesome, but I don't, I don't know how we can make that happen. Like, there's so much that goes into that. That's a great deal. Let's put that on the calendar, and next year, let's make that happen. That's awesome. And I love the response because the response was, no, no, no. I've already got the people. We've already got it going. We're making 400 meals. We're just asking you to direct us to the biggest need. See, that, that is where the people of God really come alive, where it's not like, hey, organization, go handle this for me. But it's, hey, I've got a need. How do we meet, how do we meet this? What resources are available? What can I use? We don't use people to build ministry. We use ministry to build people. So being able to step back and say, hey, here's a need. I've orchestrated people. We've got the food. We're going to build this. I loved the response because basically the response was, you misunderstood. We're feeding 400 people. I'm asking if there's a way you can be involved to help. That was life. I'm honestly, I was sitting there, and I was almost brought to tears in the conversation because I was like, man, the heart for this need is so huge. We've got another group of people in this room that – Hey, it is a problem that we have kids that the only time they get to eat is when they're at school. What do they do over the summer? And out of that, a summer lunch program was born that we're able to provide meals for kids over the summer. Not because we sat down in a staff meeting and thought, this would be a great idea. That's not the way the church is supposed to be ran. It was because the heart of somebody in the room that said, hey, we're going to rally for this. How do we make this happen? How do we organize this? How do we get this out? How do we do what God's called us to do? And we simply became, as an organization, a resource to the people of God to do the will of God in their community. I don't want to jump ahead. I'm going to stay on task. <laughs> Gates 8 and 9, the horse gate and the east gate, both speaks of people who worked on the, home, uh, on the gate that was immediately in front of their home. Now, again, I want to be really clear what I'm saying. Earlier, I talked about being willing to do the hard work when it's inconvenient. But I also want to be clear, it doesn't have to be inconvenient to still be God's work. Are you with me? See, a lot of times we, we think it's got to be one or the other. If I'm not just horribly miserable, then I'm not serving God. No, that's not what he's called you to, right? Obedience is better than sacrifice. I need to be obedient with the need that I see, the need that's in front of me. What I'm going, if God's calling me here, then that's the need I need to meet. But if I can meet a need in my neighborhood, 
because power's out or limbs are down or whatever, and I've still got power so I can make a big pot of chili and I can invite the neighbors over so they can have a hot meal tonight. I'm meeting the need. I didn't just make that up on the top of my head when we had the huge ice storm. That was one of the scenarios where we had people in the church that literally, I've got power, my neighbors don't, so we just made a big pot of chili and posted, hey, if anybody wants a hot meal, come over. We had people with this snowstorm that just happened. And it wasn't a mass message to everybody in the church of, hey, if you don't have power, come on over. But it was to key people they were connected to in a relationship. And I know of multiple people in the church that sent out a message to five or six people that said, hey, if you guys lose power, you've got a place to go. Your family, you can always come here. Right? That's what family does. That's meeting the needs that are in front of us. That's being willing to be uncomfortable or inconvenienced to do the will of God. I love the fact that when you look at Jesus' greatest miracles, they often didn't happen in a synagogue. Where did they happen? On his way somewhere. He was on his way to Jerusalem, and a guy come out, came out in front of him. They were generally in the interruptions. If we're too busy getting to what, God's call, what we think is important to miss the interruptions where God's trying to use you, we've missed the point. We've got to be willing to do what God's called us to and see what's right in front of us because there's something that God is wanting to awaken in us and in our world about this. The last gate, the inspection gate. I love this. Verse 31 says, the goldsmiths the, uh, worked on the wall all the way to the temple servants and the merchants. So the merchants, the goldsmiths, these would have been some of the more wealthy people in the area. And it concludes with them working on the gate as well. And here's the thing that I love. When you look through this entire portion of Scripture, there is nobody, nobody who's exempt from the work. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're young. It doesn't matter if you're old. It doesn't matter if you're known. It doesn't matter if you're not. Everybody had a place to work on this, and this was a huge piece that no one is above serving. It didn't matter how wealthy or set they were. They were willing to do that and step out and do what needed to be done. You know, we've got a welcome to the family luncheon that's after this for people who have joined the church this year, and we're celebrating them. And first service, uh, I was going to mention one of the ministries and things that we had going on, and I looked for the person, and they weren't in here. You know why? They were in that room setting up tables, getting things set, preparing for what's going to happen later. It's being willing to say, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm going to serve and be a part of what God's called me to do. And being willing to do any job, whatever it takes, because this is the ministry that God's called us to. Nobody's too good to serve somebody else. I love the fact that when Jesus came, he came to serve, not to be served. And if that's the example that we live after, that's the way that we should live our lives as well. There's so many things that when I look at 2020, talk about a rough year. <laughs> How many of you guys think, yeah, 2020 could have been better, <laughs> right? I mean, we've got some of the highest unemployment since the Great Depression. We've got people losing their homes, people dying from COVID, all the other things that are, I mean, there's a mountain of things that I could mention. I'm not going to go rehash all of them. We lived it once. We don't need to go back through it again. <laughs> but you know what I 
can celebrate and love, and to me is amazing as the faithfulness of God in the midst of hard situations. See, I can look at what, as an organization, we were able to do in benevolence in 2020, and we were actually able to give more in benevolence to 2020 to the tune of just over $50,000 that we were able to give to help people in 2020. That's amazing. That's worth celebrating. Jesus' faithfulness that we were able to do that. Let's celebrate that. But I want to take it a step further. That's what we did as an organization. That's what we did through our faithfulness and our tithes and our offerings that we were able to help serve the community on numerous levels. But beyond that, we've also got ministries that people in this church, not the organization, not like we wrote a check and made it happen, but people in this house said, I'm going to provide beds. I'm going to provide clothes. I'm going to provide washers and dryers. I'm going to make sure this needs met. I'm going to take care of whatever is needed in this area, this realm. I'm going to provide computers for this kid because he doesn't have a way to do distance learning and their school is closed for right now. Through the people in this house in 2020, we were actually able to have more than $150,000 worth of economic impact of needs that needed to be met. We were able, I want you to hear this because it is staggering to me. But there were 437 kids in foster care that the people of Destiny were able to help meet a need in our community. There was more than, like I said, more than $150,000 in economic impact, which by the way, that was only $60,000 in economic impact in 2019. We almost tripled that. 400 meals for th- uh, given to the homeless for Thanksgiving, 25 beds given to families who didn't have a bed. I, I wanna pause right there because I think a lot of times we're like, well, I don't know how I'm gonna meet this big need. I know we had people that, hey, our kid outgrew their twin size bed. Do you guys have a place that you need it? Hey, guess what? There was a kid who was sleeping on the floor because he was in foster care and lost his parents and had to go live with a grandmother who didn't have a place for him to sleep. Now we're able to provide a bed and meet a need for a child there. That didn't take much, but it made a world of difference. Don't discount what you're able to do to make a difference in the world around you because it doesn't seem like a lot to you. What may seem like little to you may be life-changing to somebody else if we're willing to be obedient, if we're willing to listen and step out. People in this house gave away seven dressers, six washers and dryers, four couches, three laptops, two dining tables. Provided floor for a family who couldn't afford to fix it. Two cars that were given away. 21 bus passes to help get people who had just came out of incarceration either back in connection with their family or being able to provide a way for them to get to their appointments that were needed, or even to get back to court to make sure they didn't violate probation. Those are tangible, tangible needs. There's an organization called Palomar. Anybody familiar with them? They're an organization downtown called Palomar. They do phenomenal work. Uh, They do so much. I was given a tour by one of our uh, organizations that we're partnered with, and I was blown away 
to see what they have. They're walking around showing me these two floors. They've got meeting rooms for women who have been abused or coming out of all, all kinds of different situations. They've got places to help with the kids, where it's places they can take animals. They've got detectives. They've got lawyers. They've got all these things to help provide mass amount of services. And I'm walking through thinking about what little we do <laughs> to help serve them. And they're giving us this tour, and I'm just looking at the magnitude of what they've got going on. And I'll never forget, we walked into a room, and the lady who's giving the tour introduced us. And one of the attorneys came out and said, oh, is this one of your community partners? And her response, without missing a beat, was that she said, no, this is the community partner. When they started partnering with us, they started meeting needs on a level I never imagined from the time we first met. Providing beds, clothes, food, shelter. We've been able to help rescue eight families from abusive situations to the safe house that we've got, all kinds of different platforms that God has used and brought about in this last year because of the faithfulness of the people in this room, because of the willingness of the church to be the church. My question for you today is really simple. What is it that God's put on your heart to make a difference in the world around you? Whose life will be better when we step in to the very thing that you've set at home and said, man, I wish we could meet that need? Whose life is waiting to be changed by you stepping up to begin to move that direction? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's such a huge thing. I don't know. I, I want to give an example because God does huge, and he does it well. You know, I mentioned the safe house. I don't, don't want to go a ton into this, but I was looking over some of our info September 3rd, we were in a meeting and said, man, it'd be great to have a safe house to help meet this need. From November 3rd to October 7th, I think it was, with um, just over a month, we had a place that was provided 100% rent-free. All utilities paid. <laughs> Within three weeks, we were able to have it completely furnished, again, by people in this house who said, hey, we've got this opportunity, it's a phenomenal opportunity, furnished a two-bedroom safe house. And before the end of October, we were able to help our first family in the midst of that. We're four months later, we've got eight families that we've helped rescue out of that. Don't say, God, I can't step out because it's too big for me. Just step out and make a phone call. You might never know. Six months later, there's an entire new ministry that's birthed and people's lives that are completely changed because you were obedient. That's one avenue. What's God calling you to? What is it that breaks your heart that's on God's? As the band begins to come back up. My last point. If you want to impress people, tell them your dreams. If you want to impact them, show them your heart. I believe for far too long we've stepped back and said, here's all the things we could do to try to impress people. It's time we stop trying to impress people. It's time we start impacting people that they see the heart that we have, they see the heart that God has for a hurting world. What's your piece to that puzzle? What is the thing that pricks your heart that today you can begin to take a step in that direction? I can't answer that for you. I wish I could. I wish I could say, here's what you need to do and you need to do, but that would just bottleneck it <laughs> to an organization, right? 
See, the beauty of it is if we begin to move with what God's called us to, with what God has highlighted to us, let's be a resource for each other. You never know what God's going to bring about. I know there's one person in this room that four months ago was able to be a part of a conversation with multiple other churches and organizations, and they simply were saying, hey, here's what we have a heart for, and here's what we do, and here's the resources that are available to me. Four months later, that organization is asking them, hey, can you be on our board of, <laughs> excuse me, be on our board of directors to help with this? Just, just because they were in a meeting. And they saw the heart that they carried. And they realized, hey, our hearts are aligned. Let's do this together. What's God calling you to? Where is he connecting you? You may, never, you may have no idea where it's going to end you up. But let's take a step forward. I want to encourage you. Let's not just be encouraged and, yeah, we need to make a difference. No, let's spend some time asking God, where is it I need to make a difference? We're going to worship. I want to ask you, let's stand. Let's press in and let's really open our hearts. We serve a speaking God. And let's begin to worship and let's press in and let's ask, God, what is it you have for me? What are you wanting to unlock today that this world is going to be a better place because I'm going to carry your heart out of this room to impact our community?